We wish you welcome. Also, our listeners, we wish you welcome. It's good to visit with you again and to be with you again. We're going to go on with our chapters in Matthew, and we have arrived at the 21st chapter in the Gospel according to Matthew, starting at the first verse. Talking about the arrival of the Lord in Jerusalem, and here it is recorded that the Lord entered Jerusalem officially. Right here. The Mount of Olives, where we find ourselves then, is about 2,300 feet high and is about a Sabbath day's journey, about five-eighths of a mile from Jerusalem, as we find in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 12. And this is how this important Jewish event to determine the allowed Sabbath distance came about to be established when Israel passed over Jordan. It was the space, this distance between the Ark of the Covenant and the main body of the people. That was the distance that was established, determined. We find in Joshua 3, verse 4, it says about 2,000 cubits by measure. And I went to the Living Bible to find out that it was about a half mile. And the little village of Bethpage, which literally means house of unripe figs, was on the east side of the Mount of Olives, close to Jerusalem, between Bethany and Jerusalem, as Mark and Luke both mention. Mark, in chapter 11, verse 1, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and Luke Chapter 19, verse 29, Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And also to Halakha. Halakha is a collective body of Jewish religious laws that came from the written and oral Torah which are the legal traditions of Judaism. Bethpage was part of Jerusalem. And, and though it was situated on its remotest, furthest parts, since it was so closely affiliated with Jerusalem, one was allowed to celebrate Passover there. This is from Stanley M. Horton in the Complete Biblical Library. The village Bespids does not exist anymore, though. It's been gone long, long time ago. Now, the Lord came to Bethany six days, Bethany, 
six days before Passover, that was on the Friday, it was the 8th of Nisan, the month Nisan, and we read in John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus was the man he had brought back to life. Perhaps you remember that. And the Lord spent the Sabbath there in Bethpid. And on the first day of the week, the Sunday, the 10th of Nisan, was also the day when the Passover lamb would be chosen. Remember that. Exodus 12, verse 3 says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them, to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So a lamb for a family, or a family that lived there all together in the house. So on this day, the Lord Jesus symbolically presented himself to the people as the Messiah. And this presentation anticipated his death as the Passover Lamb of God. Now, who exactly the two disciples were, we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Who those two disciples were, whom the Lord sent off to get the colt and the donkey, and her colt, colt her foal, is not known. Their names are just not mentioned, it's not known. And some, some suggest it were Peter and John sins. They were sent off on a similar errand later in Luke 22 verse 8 he sent Peter and John the Lord did saying go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat so let's go to Matthew 21 the first and second verses and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. So, from the New International Version, the village ahead of you should mean Bethpage. So the Lord gave them clear instructions how to get the animals. Mark records the same about the incident in his gospel. Mark 11, verse 2. 
the Lord was saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And so does Luke. Luke chapter 19, verse 30. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, of course, the donkey and her colt were inseparable. Verse 3. And if any man say aught unto you, in the Living Bible, translates it this way, if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say the master needs them and there will be no trouble. Perhaps the owner of the donkeys was a disciple of the Lord. That's possible since the Lord knew so many people also in and around Jerusalem. And not surprisingly, the owner did not have a problem with them taking the pair. That is, after the owner found out who wanted the animals. And then again, Mark's gospel suggests that the he who sent the animals may not really have been the owner. Look at Mark 11, verse 3, New International Version. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here shortly. J. Vernon McGee in Through the Bible is rather down to earth about this subject. He writes, I see no point in reading a miracle into this incident, although many people do. I believe this is a normal, natural situation Probably when our Lord was in Jerusalem the last time, he made arrangements with some friends to use these animals the next time he came to the city. He may have disclosed to them what he intended to do, and they agreed to have them ready for him at the Passover feast. I think that he told them that he would send a couple of his disciples to get them and that he would tell them what to say. The Lord hath need of them. I feel that this incident is much more wonderful if we look at it this way. That's what McGee writes. Now, Arno C. Gablin does not agree and approaches the incident from the following angle. In his book, The Gospel of Matthew, he writes from Bethpage, he sends forth his two disciples to bring the colt and the donkey to him. And this act of the Lord flashed forth once more his glory and that the King Messiah is Jehovah. He knew that yonder was a donkey tied with a colt as he knew the fish and a piece of silver in the sea. Remember, 
And as he commanded the fish with the coin to go to Peter's fish hook, so here he demands the use of the donkey and the colt. He has a right to them, for he is the creator, and he can say, as he has said, we read it in Psalm 10, verses 10 and 11, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. In Mark's gospel, we read in Mark 11, verses 4 through 7, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. No doubt the majestic saying, the Lord hath need of them, made such a deep impression upon the hearts of these men who either owned the cult or had charge over it, that they were ready at once to let him go. It was his word which demanded obedience and which was obeyed, he writes. Now, Luke adds that no one ever rode or sat on the animal. Luke 19, verse 30, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a cold tide, whereon yet never man sat, loose him, and bring him hither. Living Bible, they were to look for a donkey tied beside the road. It would be a colt, not yet broken for riding. Horton writes, it was not necessary for a king to ride on an animal never ridden before. But only unused animals could be used for sacred purposes. And he quotes Numbers 19, verse 2. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. Or Deuteronomy 21, verse 3, in this from the Living Bible, then the elders of that city shall take a heifer that has never been yoked. And this seems to make a connection with the early, earlier prophecies of Zechariah, which showed the Messiah as first priest and then king. Let's go to verse 4 and 5. All this was done 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Everything the Lord Jesus did, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace did, was according to the words of the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9 verse 9, New International Version. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Most likely, the disciples didn't quite realize what was going on. We read about this in John 12, verse 16. It says, These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. Well, the Lord was aware of these prophecies and knew when he was fulfilling them. And it was a deliberate fulfillment. It was the day of his proclamation, the day of the Lord's announcement of self, of who he is and was. Then, and up to now, the Lord had shunned any public assertion or statement to his messiahship, as you remember. Repeatedly, he had withdrawn himself when the people wanted to make him their king. But now he was ready to reveal his true identity because now, now he was ready for the cross. And we see the coming of Zion's king. Again, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And compare this to Isaiah 62, verse 11. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed unto the end of the world, say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him. And his work before him. Horton writes, Daughter of Zion is an expression denoting the Messianic people. 
The Lord Jesus fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9 and with it showed himself to be the Messiah. No king ever had ridden on a donkey or ridden on a donkey since the time of Solomon. Horton writes, Jesus' actions showed that he was not a king of violent political force. Rather, he's a humble king, offering salvation and ruling with peace. Look at Zechariah 9, verse 10. He shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. John F. Walford in Matthew, Thy Kingdom Come, a commentary on the first gospel, writes, the main point is contained in the quotation from Zechariah 9, verse 9, which prophesies that the Messiah King Israel, unlike earthly kings, would come in a lowly or meek manner, sitting upon a donkey and a colt, the colt of a donkey. No king had ever come to Israel in this manner, as kings usually came on horses, and which we will find in the future when you read Revelation 6, verse 2, and chapter 19, verse 11. The Messiah, who was foretold by the prophets, was in direct contradiction to the popular expectations. The Lord Jesus rejected any notion of political messianism promoted by the zealots who were the ancient supporters of liberation theology. They wanted Rome to go. The Hebrew of Zechariah 9 verse 9 says that he came himself being salvation. Himself being salvation. And as the humble king, the Lord Jesus took his place with all mankind to bring and to be salvation for all mankind. Even now he was already laying down his life for sinners. Remember the angel had told Joseph before the child Jesus was born in Matthew 1 verse 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their, from their sins. He shall save his people. 
It was that now the Lord Jesus would soon complete this mission. Let's go to verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. So the two disciples went out and did as the Lord had told them to do. Not a word is said whether they questioned the Lord's words or even understood what was taking place. All they knew was that he was their master. He told them to go, they did. Verse 7, And brought the donkey and the colt and put, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. So the disciples saddled both animals with clothing, clothing on them. On them, them in Greek as pano, oton, is on the top or on the top of, above, over, on, refers to the donkeys, but here it does not refer to the donkeys but to the clothes so it is clearly understood that the Lord did not sit on both animals at the same time of course but that he sat on the clothes that were on the foal on the colt look at Mark 11 verse 7 they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it and he sat on it now as mentioned earthly kings used a lot of show with horses and chariots and symbols of war to show their might and power as they still do in some countries and certainly in biblical times too but God's people do not think and act that way. See in Zechariah 4 verse 6, it says, This is the word of the Lord, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And in Exodus 15 verse 1, they sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Remember how they came after the children of Israel when they left Egypt. And in Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And I hope you and me, we do too. And Isaiah 31 verses 1 through 3, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots 
and in the great strength of their horsemen. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against that wicked nation, against those who help evildoers. But the Egyptians are mere mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help will stumble. Those who are helped by the evil people will fall. All will perish together. When we trust something or someone else and not God, The Messiah King distinguished himself or set himself apart apart by riding on a donkey. A donkey. The simple beast of the common man, the common people, often used for transportation, used for carrying loads and burdens during times of peace. Usually, donkeys were not used for warfare. As said, the Lord Jesus introduced himself to the world as the Prince of Peace, making peace between God and man. The Messiah did not flaunt his power, did not show off his supremacy. The Messiah is a humble ruler, as we've read in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Trusting in God, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Selah. And the people going up the opposite hill, not the Mount of Olives, but the hill to Jerusalem, would often chant, Psalm 24, and especially the verses 3 through 6. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. And the verses 7 through 10, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. And while the people were chanting these words, they were able to look across the valley and see the Lord Jesus arriving. And then connect this with Zechariah 9 verse 9. Behold, thy king cometh. And it is thought that the Lord wanted them to make that connection. Let's go to verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And Jerusalem were pilgrims for Passover, sure. They came from Galilee and Perea and the folk who lived in Jerusalem itself. They were there, of course. Let's read John 12, verse 9 from the New International Version. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him they came, but also to see Lazarus, whom he, Jesus, had raised from the dead. Verse 18, many people went out to meet him. Gablin writes, both groups looking for Jesus and for Lazarus outdid themselves in honoring Jesus. Matthew, intent on establishing the triumphant entry as a fulfillment of prophecy, in the coming of Jesus as king to Jerusalem, he ignores some of the details and simply records that the disciples brought the donkey and the colt and put their garments on both of them. And Jesus probably sat only on the colt, as mentioned in the other Gospels, which had never been ridden on before that colt, Look at Matthew 11, verse 2, and Luke 19, verse 30. And to form a saddle, they threw their outer garments on both beasts, even though Jesus used only the colt, also laying their garments on the ground for the beasts to travel over. And 
cutting down branches from trees and spreading them in a festive way along the road. John alone mentions that the branches were from palm trees. And although they were treating Jesus as their king, in keeping with the meaning of the triumph, this triumphal entry, it seems clear that they did so with only partial understanding. John comments in John 12, verse 16, These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done, done these things, that they had done these things unto him. And to pay reverence and respect to the Lord, it spread branches and clothing on the road, showing that they saw the Lord Jesus as king, and they themselves as his subjects. As they also did in 884 before Christ under King Jeho, as recorded in Second Kings 9, verse 13, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Yehu is king. And this dramatic entering in Jerusalem of the Lord Jesus was a messianic statement and announcement. In the future, once again, the glory of the Lord Jesus will emerge from the Mount of Olives as recorded in Zechariah 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it to the south. When he will come again. Let's go to verse 9. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna in the highest. 
the collection of psalms, the psalms 113 through 118, called the Hallel, that was especially sung during Passover, praising and honoring the Almighty, was most likely also sung by the Lord and his disciples. In Matthew 26, verse 30, it records, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives before leaving the upper room. In Greek, humneo, to sing, to, to laud, to sing hymns to and praise like Hosanna. Now, Hosanna, the word Hosanna was originally a cry for help. Help and deliverance often addressed to a king, as we find in Second Kings 16, verse 7, where it says, Ahaz sent messages to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. Or, Hosanna is used and said to God. We read in Psalm 20, verse 9, Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. And in Psalm 118, verse 25, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity and it was customary to shout and sing this psalm this hosanna during the feast of tabernacles as the people approached the sacrificial altar carrying their palm branches these were also called hosanna and because of it well known in the liturgy of the major feasts Bit by bit, this call shifted from being a call for help to a shout of joy and triumph. And this is made clear, especially in the next shout of praise to the son of David. In Psalm 118, verse 26, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord where it refers to all pilgrims traveling to the major feasts of Judaism. It was later that traditions linked the text in a restricted sense to the coming of the Messiah. This is what Horton writes. Hosanna in the highest. We read in Psalm 148, the verses 1 and 2. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. And we see that angels praise him too. Praise ye him, 
all his angels, praise ye him, all his hosts. And the crowd following the Lord rejoiced and praised him as the one who had come as the son of David, the Messiah, to fulfill the promise given to Israel. But it took only a few days when Pilate said to them, What shall I do then with this Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. You can read that in Matthew 27, the verses 22 and 23. Yep, that's us, people. That's us, Christ Jesus loves and died for. Really, folk haven't changed one bit. So back to the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Verse 10. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Matthew is the only one of the gospel writers who tells of the people's enthusiasm for the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. The Greek word, aseste, is used here. The people were moved to the point of shaking, agitate, stirred up, as in the earth shook and the rocks were split apart. That word is used. Matthew 27, verse 51. That's how the city was moved with the coming of the Lord. So the excited population of Jerusalem who were unable to see what was going on was asking, who is this? And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And the crowd going with the Lord predominantly answered, This is the prophet, the promised great prophet whose coming Moses foretold. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words into his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Who is this? Verse 11. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. 
And as a result of his ministry in Galilee, now the Lord Jesus was announced as and declared the son of David. As we read in verse 9, the multitude that went before him and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as mentioned, as we said, Hosanna is a transliteration of the Hebrew expression meaning grant salvation, allow us, give us salvation. But it's used here more as a greeting or as a giving of praise. And significant is their reference to the Lord as son of David because it showed that they recognized that he was in the king line. Although they had not realized it, it completely and especially in the concept that he was entering into Jerusalem as king. They all met in Jerusalem, those that came with the Lord and those that met him from out of Jerusalem. And there were those who asked, who is this? Matthew 21, verse 10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? According to Matthew, the whole city was excited. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Galilee. Some in the crowd probably were pilgrims for the Passover feast from Galilee. And sure, they were claiming Jesus proudly. And the form of the verb, the grammar, tells that they said this over and over and over again. This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. He bless you.